Let's take a quick break to hear a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Trapital's newest partner, Track. Track provides hundreds of thousands of artists with new ways to turn their music into money. Their mission is to accelerate growth and maximize the success of every artist. Track can get your music on every streaming and social platform, and with a personalized artist profile, your fans will easily be able to find your music, merch, NFTs, and more to build your brand. Track can also help you track your impact with robust analytics and get your music to the people who need to hear it. Track will help you get 100% of what you deserve through distribution, getting your music heard all around the world with the most powerful services available, NFTs, so you can step into the future of monetization by offering your fans unique opportunities, and a wallet to become more confident knowing your earnings are paid out safely and securely. To learn more, visit track.co. That's T-R-A-C dot C-O. I think it was interesting him being so vocal in the approach he took. I think a lot of Iris Starr did a documentary for Spotify. She's quite big, especially within West Africa. And she talked about touring in the United States for the first time. And she basically said that she viewed it as an opportunity to make someone her fan, right? Like just by someone attending her show, her goal was to convert them into a fan. Whereas Berna definitely takes the approach of, you should either already be one or recognize my fan base for what they are. I think in his case, he's lucky because he's been able to back it up, especially when you look at Coachella to now, but definitely a, an approach that's consistent with his brand. Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcie. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip-hop culture to the next level. Today's episode is a case study style breakdown on the one and only Burna Boy. I was joined by someone who is a near expert when it comes to the world of Burna Boy, and that is Denisha Kulor, who has been on the pod several times, and she is the founder of Stan, where not only does she focus on how artists can engage their fan bases, she's actually been involved with ticket giveaways for Burna Boy's upcoming stadium show in London. So she has insights into what these fans are like, what are some of their preferences, and we talked about all that and more. We broke down Burna Boy's rise, what are some of the key things to his success, what are some of the challenges, talked about some of the other moments that he's had that we wanted to talk about, where does that stand with him, what is his standout moment, and where things could really go for him from here on out. Really great conversation. If you enjoyed the one we did on Cash Money a couple weeks ago, this is something similar, but about an artist who is really having his moment right now, and we broke it all down. Here's our breakdown on Burna Boy. All right, today we have our case study style breakdown on the one and only Burna Boy. And who else is going to join me than someone that understands him and the work that he's done in and out over the past few years, Denisha Kalor. Welcome back to the pod. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you because you wrote that piece in Trapital several months ago talking about how artists who have relied on music festivals, maybe there's something that they may regret down the road in terms of actually getting in there and building the true fanboy fan base. And you used Burna Boy as an example of someone that went through this. And 
obviously he's blowing up. He's had a huge year and we've now seen so much growth, especially in the past few years of just how so many African artists have been able to rise and grow a platform. But Burna Boy has clearly been able to hit levels that many others haven't. What do you think it is that has set him apart? Yeah, I think one, Jeff Burnaboy is very compelling as an artist. I've seen him perform last year twice, his Madison Square Garden show. Then I got to see him at Afro Chala Now, Afro Future in Ghana. And one, he has a live band. As crazy as that sounds, I feel like that's rarer and rarer these days as consumers. It kind of feels like we've gotten used to maybe a DJ or kind of that accompany accompaniment. So the live band aspect is a huge one for me. And I think he's very compelling on stage and has great charisma. And then lastly, I kind of feel like he was everywhere this year. You couldn't really escape him, whether it was Last Last as a hit or him touring so much of the United States. I feel like if you didn't know about Burna Boy maybe a year or two ago, last year was definitely just a true breakout year for him on the global stage. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think there was a couple other things that stuck out to me too. So he has been able to position himself as a leading man. I am the person that's headlining. I'm not just going to be the person opening for the artist. I'm just not yeah. going to be the person that is doing the guest first. And I do think that some of the other artists who rose up from Africa, they have done a bit more of the, okay, let me jump on the Drake verse. And then that becomes Drake's biggest yeah. song or things like that. And yeah. although I know that Berna has done several guest appearances and features, it hasn't been in that same way. And I think he's still just been so focused on himself in that way. And of course, it can yeah. take a little bit longer to develop, but it's almost like how in Hollywood, you may see someone that is always positioning themselves as supporting acting roles. If that's where you're taking to yeah. go up, it could be hard for the industry to see you as the lead actor. But if you're willing to do yeah. the lead actor roles for the smaller things and you get the right thing, then you become seen as the lead actor on the big stage. Yeah. And I feel like that's yeah. been his... I'm totally aligned with you. When Just based off you talking about that, it makes me think about some of his features on the continent. And he's largely broken those artists, right? You look at Benson, formerly known as Buju, right? And the Le Nu remix, he was signed to Burna. I first heard about I'm a Piano because Burna Boy got on the Spool No No remix. And one of the biggest breakout stars of the continent, Ashake, the Sungba remix this year. So I agree. I think he's positioned his features as more as like, let me lend a helping hand and let me get your distribution and your visibility. But if I was an African artist or emerging artist from the continent buying for a feature, in some ways, I'd probably want to burn a feature over potentially a big artist from the West. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is with his mentality and his persona. We can get into that in a minute, but I feel yeah. like that played into a lot of this. And as you said, he's been everywhere in the past year and we're setting stage for an even bigger 2023 where he will do his stadium tour at London Stadium, the first African artist to headline and do that. What does that mean for his career? Yeah, one, I think it's just huge and a testament to how far music from the continent has grown. I think, you know, you look at the story or how people paint the narrative of how music from the continent has grown. And so often it's kind of like, oh, there's a population of people here or there's little, you know, subsects of people that are interested in the music. 
Whereas now it makes it very clear that this is world music, right? This is pop music in a lot of ways and that people have embraced this music in the same way you look at Latin music, right? And people are singing whether they know Spanish or not. I think it's really a testament to the ability to do that. So it's very exciting. Yeah, I think you've also had a front row seat to this as well, because with your work at Stan, you've been doing ticket giveaways and things like that to really tap into who the Berta Boy super fans are. Yeah. So we've found two things working with Berta Boy fans or Berta Boy fan pages is that, or maybe even three, I find that one, you have the fan that maybe it reminds them of home. So typically a fan with roots or ties back to West Africa or Africa more broadly who's now living abroad or first generation, but there's a sense of nostalgia or home as a result. I think you also have fans that are like learning or being introduced to Africa through his music, which has been really fascinating and really cool to see us talking to a fan based in France, right? That like taught herself pigeon and like wants to visit Nigeria because she's such a big Burning Boy fan. And that's also really, really cool to see. And then third, I think you just have like hometown pride, right? Like you look at people in Lagos or even other African cities and people are just really, really proud of what he's been able to do. So it's interesting seeing all the subsects of fans together. But as someone who's attended his shows, I think it's exhilarating when you watch it all come together. And just for some context for the listeners, what does your giveaway entail and what does that process look like? Yeah, so we run live interactive trivia games that allow us to test a fan's knowledge and how much they actually know about the artist. So everything from lyrics to questions that fans would only know if they watch music videos to general information about Burna Boy that you probably would only get if you read his interviews or you just deeply know about him. Every time we're crafting these games, I actually <laughs> learn so much more about these artists that we work with. And so I say that to say I'm continuously surprised not only by his fans' knowledge of his music and his lyrics, but also how intentional they've been about truly learning about him and what they feel he represents. And so I feel like he's done a really good job of being consistent in that narrative. I think, too, one of the other things that really works in his favor is that in the rise of the streaming era, we're seeing the rise of local repertoire and local language yeah. artists being able to rise and not just have to rely on Western cultures. And I think that the music industry has shifted a bit, or at least from a mentality perspective, and you can see this on the Spotify daily charts, you can see this so many places mm -hmm. where there are so many artists who were used to being able to have that global footprint of essentially exporting their music elsewhere than making so much money elsewhere. Yeah. But they're now seeing less and they're seeing less because a lot of these artists are being able to do it themselves. And it's not just that Berna Boy is being able to do this in West Africa, but he's being able to do this in France, which has, you know, a large West yeah. African population and some of these other corners of the world that do. And I'm curious to see how that will continue to develop because you know how the diaspora and certain regions that you see more fans of West African artists and just West Africans in general and how that will align with where someone like Burna Boy continues to tour and where some of the bigger concentrations of his fandom end up being. 
Yeah, I think, you know, interestingly enough, like he also probably benefited from the rise of like macro things that maybe couldn't plan. But like one Black Panther, right? Black Panther like reignited people's curiosity about Africa, maybe in a way in which they hadn't thought of before. You look at things like the year of return in Ghana in 2019 and this bridge or this desire to have a bridge between Black Americans in the United States and, you know, people in Ghana. And I think all those like factors made people, got people excited and got excited in a way that his music just set the stage. If you came to Ghana in 2019, you were going to hear Burna Boy and people were going to take it back, right? DeVito said it best. He said, you know, Afrobeats will succeed because in America, everybody has one African friend. And whether you realize it or not, like you are exposed in some way. And I think as people's proximities changed and curiosity about each other and where people are from grew, especially as it relates to Africa, he really benefited from that. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I think the other thing, too, that I think about for him this year, he, of course, has the huge stadium show in London, but he's also coming back to Coachella and very famously coming back to Coachella after being quite upset in 2019 about the size of his name on that Coachella poster. And this day, this year, this time around, his name is much bigger, still not a headliner, yeah. but I'd be curious to <laughs> know what you think, like how he must've felt about that process. Was there some level of buy-in? Cause I could see at his level, him thinking that, okay, I'm a superstar. I should be a headliner. But if they're now putting him on that second line, right under the headliner, then how that may affect him. Obviously, it's still great placement, but yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I remember when that happened. And in some ways, I think it probably helped his brand. It really showed like it was a testament to the type of artist that he desired to be. I do, you know, think it's interesting because you do see within Africa stars that are huge, right? And maybe their numbers quantitatively don't show up on the Spotify charts. They're on YouTube or they're on other platforms. There's still quite a bit of downloading that exists within just Africa as a whole. So sometimes we don't necessarily see an artist's set the way we would maybe with an artist in the States or with a huge listenership in the States from a chart perspective or immediately. But what I will say is, I think it was interesting him being so vocal in the approach he took. I think a lot of Iris Starr did a documentary for Spotify. and She's quite big, especially within West Africa. And she talked about touring in the United States for the first time. And she basically said that she viewed it as an opportunity to make someone her fan, right? Like just by someone attending her show, her goal was to convert them into a fan. Whereas Berna definitely takes the approach of you should either already be one or recognize my fan base for what they are. I think in his case, he's lucky because he's been able to back it up, especially when you look at Coachella to now. But definitely a an approach that's consistent with his brand. Right, because I think that part of it, too, is there's clearly a Western skew for a festival like Coachella. I know that when Berna had complained back in 2019 about where he was, people had shown where Kendrick Lamar was. I think it was 2012 and how small his name was compared to him being a headliner several years yeah. later. The difference there, though, is that Kendrick Lamar is from Compton, which is not, which is driving distance to Indio, California, where Coachella is. 
versus even yeah. though Burna Boy may have numbers, may have the base, it's is that base if they're not a strong contingent of them in the in Southern California, are they going to be able to get there? And I do think that the fact that he is, you know, second, because this year your headliners, unless someone pulls out, you never know what happens. But right now your headliners are Frank Ocean, Bad Bunny, and Blackpink. So he's, you know, just under there. So you never know what could happen. Things shift all the time. But I assume if based on his placement, it must be a pretty decent sized bag as well. At least I know for the headliners, the last I checked a few years ago, they were getting paid $4 million per weekend, which totaled $8 million total. Oh, wow. So that's what I would assume the payday would be for Bunny, Blackpink, and Frank Ocean. But then that next row down probably isn't too far below that. I mean, I'm sure it is less money, but I don't know how much sure. less, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when you look at like negotiating from just a hard tickets perspective, in terms of what he's been able to drive from last year alone, he definitely had some strong leverage from a negotiating standpoint. Definitely. And with someone like him, too, I know that we've talked a lot about artists and how they're able to develop true fandom. And I think true fandom is the people that are showing up at your concerts and they know the words of everything and not just singing the TikTok part that goes viral that we've seen from whether it's many artists that have experienced that that have had TikTok hits that have blown up. How do you think that impacts someone like Berta Boy? I don't necessarily feel like he is making music, quote unquote, for TikTok. I know a lot of the stuff that blows up their artists don't have any control over. But how do you think that skews? Like, how do you think that so sh- or short form video has played a factor, if at all, in his career and his rise? Yeah, I think a few ways. One, touring, right? I think people want to go to a Berta Boy show. Even if they haven't seen him before or only know a few songs. So I think it's definitely been really, really helpful there. I don't know how many people know like the story behind Ye, one of his breakout hits, but like SEO just like really helped him. So he had the song Ye, it was already uploaded to streaming platforms. And then Kanye came out with his album. And so a lot of folks search for Kanye's album, but his was still like ranking pretty high on Spotify. He actually released a video that that day or around that time thanking thanking Kanye for for the album name. So I do think, and this is what's so interesting, he's very true to himself in the sense that he's definitely not an artist that like hopped on those trends, right? Like TikTok is not really potentially his thing. He's not going to be doing any TikTok dances. So he's still been authentic to himself while I think galvanizing his fans or letting his fans know he appreciates their effort. And I believe his fans look at it more so as like, let's spread this message, regardless of his participation. That's something I always get from his fans specifically, it seems like. You have different artists with fan bases, like the Barbs need Nikki to participate. They want Nikki to participate, right? Whereas Burna fans, I feel like they do their own thing. They know the temperament of the artist and what he likes to do. And so they don't, they're not really like rushing for him to adopt maybe some of those techniques. And that's an interesting breakdown. Do you think that any of that is compared to where the artist is from or just the nature of their fans? Thinking specifically about the Barb's versus Burna Voice fans. Mm. 
That is interesting. You know, I can't say with certainty, but what I will say, and as I've spent more time in Ghana, is that there's a level of familiarity I find past maybe, I don't know what it is, but past like experiences that maybe invoke a certain socioeconomic status, there's a level of familiarity that you'll find these artists. Like I've definitely maybe seen or you can be in spaces with so many of these artists just casually like going to a restaurant or, you know, like you living your life. And I do think that invokes a certain sense of familiarity in which fame is perceived differently here. Like in Ghana specifically, you see a lot of a lot of artists here with very little to no security, just like really doing regular things. It's very different, whereas the fame is more sensationalized, it feels, in the States. Like you can be in the club with Bruno, he's walking up and there's not going to be the, oh my God, Bruno, like that kind of thing. It's very different in that way. So maybe that wouldn't really add much, at least to his core, his home base fans because that familiarity is there. Yeah, it feels a bit, the closest thing that I would say that you have in the U.S. is Atlanta, where you would have Mm. the artists that are at the mall or you see them walking around and stuff, and it isn't necessarily the same level of frenzy. Although that may be a little bit different now, but at least in like, you know, the 90s, 2000s, you would see that a bit more. And I think there was a bit more of that vibe that felt a bit more natural. Like, you know, you go to Magic City or something like that, you would see someone there. Exactly. I think the other thing that is distinctive too with the US fans versus maybe some of the fans of others is that online, I think you do see a bit more of that hive behavior specifically from a group like the barbs where i think there's almost a foxification to them and in that i mean the reactiveness to the other side and what they're saying and there's almost the galvanization of that and how the barbs can galvanize in cardi b takedown or a snide comment of someone trying to come at nikki in a way but yes they need that bit of catalyst to feel galvanized you know what's interesting i do find it i do think that Bruna fans and maybe the big three so for folks listening within africa the big three is typically referred to as davido Bruna boy and Wizkid. so they all have their various fan bases and the only time i really feel like that's activated is seeing how their artists are doing in the west and comparing right so you know, obviously with Bruno winning the Grammy, but, and I talked to you about this, like his Madison Square Garden numbers were quite contested. Like if you actually look at the Twitter account that shares signaling information, that one was like retweeted so many times because it was the fan bases going back and forth. Like he actually did sell out MSG versus didn't he? So it's very interesting because while you know, in some ways, like his hyper-localized approach in terms of the themes of his music is what's propelling him on the world stage. I do think these band bases are very curious to see just how well they're doing. And they use that as the point of comparison as it relates to other African artists. Wait, what was the contention that the fans had about the MSG sellout? Yeah, so there were a few things. One, they felt like there weren't enough seats available. Oh, you did tell me about this. (laughs) Yeah, like it was a true sellout. And at first, folks didn't believe that he had sold it out. So it's also interesting with fan bases because you're now seeing like 
novice or people, fans new to wanting to understand how the industry works and also wanting to dig into what that means. But that, I think, gave the confirmation that he did sell it out and led to other fan-based battles over the discrepancies. Right. Yeah, because you and I talked about this. It isn't like if someone just books like a music hall or a house of blues. The purpose of that is for a music venue. So the capacity is normally listed as the capacity. But for some of these sports venues, it could be very different because artists have such different set pieces and stage and production. And you don't want to perform with your back to people. Like You're going to be different places. Exactly. You can't compare the sellout for a Knicks playoff game capacity and be like, oh, well, that had more people than burner boys selling out msg it's like it doesn't exactly (laughs) and that was a lot of the conversation which i thought was so interesting but i also think it came about because of how he branded it right one night in space was the name of that it wasn't part of a tour anything it was just one night in space and so there were going to be a lot of eyes on that event regardless Yeah. And, you know, people always try to poke holes when they see something that surprises them that they probably wouldn't have, you know, seen. Exactly. So we've talked a lot about the things that Burner Boy's done well, how he's got to this point. Do you think there's any missed opportunities so far at this point in his career or anything that you look back on and be like, huh, I wonder if he did that differently or even things that he may be doing now? Yeah. So. I obviously have a company around fan engagement. So some of the fan engagement has been interesting. I will say one thing that's been very pleasant for me has been some of his intentionality around connecting deeper with his fans this last album. He did host quite a few meet and greets and had people bring their albums or, you know, even bring their kids and like that kind of thing. I felt like he was really like seeing and touching people which is something that in the past it didn't really seem like maybe he was open to or necessarily had the appetite for. So that was nice to see. It sounds like, or at least for me, the professionalism when it came to uh, One Night in Space was also great. The show started on time, ended on time. Can't necessarily say the same for some of his shows within Africa, and that can be due to a host of reasons. But it definitely does lead to maybe folks will get different experiences. And that's what's so tricky in some ways about artists and supporting artists. He's also headlined Afro Nation, Afro Nation Puerto Rico. They pulled out the day before and he was replaced with Rick Ross, which upset a lot of fans. So I say all that to say, I think when it's a Burna Boy production or Burna Boy affair, it seems like everything is phenomenal and just A plus end to end. When there are other stakeholders, the process doesn't always seem as smooth, at least for the end user experience for the fan. So I I think it sometimes becomes a question of like, are we going to continue to pursue some of these opportunities with other stakeholders, whether that's festivals or just some of these other events, right? Or are we going to take the bulk of our production or the bulk of our events or how a fan can interact with me from a live performance standpoint in-house and control the end-to-end experience that way. Yeah. And I do think that this strength weakness here lines up with the things that we're saying before, right? If he's someone that wants to be the lead, you want to be the focus, you're going to put more energy into the burnable productions and you may take a slight at things that are not that right and i think it's unfortunate if some of that distribution skews between the things you do outside of 
Africa, the things you do in the Western world that do become yeah. buttoned up. But then when you're back home, it has less energy, less focus because yeah, your day one fans or your stands are going to feel like, okay, well now that he's stadium status, what do we get? Yeah. And in fairness, you know, some of that is probably, you know, thanks to the regulation. Like there is no coming on at 2am at MSG. Like they won't send everyone home. You will not be allowed to perform. They will charge you a fine. So there's also, I think, just some of the like, again, the standards upheld within these ecosystems. But it breeds a dynamic that is unfortunate. And I think it's happening just overall where consumers are privy to this at this experience. As a fan that goes to see a show, I don't really want to hear about the promoter and technical issues and like production. I've made my money. I took my money to see this artist. So now the fact that fans are being so exposed in a lot of ways to all the elements behind these things, not only are making them more sophisticated consumers and deciding whether to patronize you again, but it's taking away some of the magic that was entertainment and like show business. Yeah, I do think that for someone like him specifically, it is important to work on how could this product be the best that it can be, whether you are doing it at home, whether you're doing it elsewhere. And obviously knowing where you're doing it elsewhere, you're involved with other productions. There's things that are going to be out of your control. And I know it's asking someone that is naturally more focused on putting more into the things they have more control into to still bring that same energy elsewhere. But hopefully, I'm sure that he wants to eventually a headliner at a Coachella or a Glastonbury. I'm sure that he yeah. wants to do other stadium shows as well. Yeah. And that'll actually go to the next thing that I'll ask you. I think that if that's the goal, then some of that energy has to c- continue there. So two questions there. This is a two-parter. So the first one, obviously, London is the first, well, I don't want to say the first, but at least it's the one of the biggest stages that he has had himself, I think, you know, we'll see how many tickets end up being sold. I assume it'll probably be at least like 60,000 or so, just given the size of that place. But where do you think, if you could project where the next stadium shows would be based on his fan base, based on what you know, where do you think those would be? I would say Texas, (laughs) somewhere in Texas. I mean, Dallas and Houston have some of the biggest African populations within the United States. And so when I think about that, not only do they have African, you know, or the first gen or immigrant populations, but a lot of people have also been exposed just by proximity. And so I think, yeah, I think it would be either Houston or Dallas, definitely somewhere in the States. I do think he could do somewhere else in Europe, but Looking at the data, it really does concentrate, at least in London, and with the disposable income, I think that would allow for a show like that, for a show like that to be successful. Another thing about Bruno that's interesting is he's been touring. So a lot of these bands, if you hadn't seen them two years ago, you definitely have had your opportunity to see him now. Even when I think about by the time I saw him, at Madison Square Garden. I could have seen him at Afropunk, right, in New York as well. He did summer, or he was supposed to do summer jam. So there were like multiple opportunities, even just within New York, to see him. So I wonder, though, if before he does that, there will be a bit of a break or at least new music so that the consumer feels like they're seeing something new. What about Paris? Yeah, so Paris is a really interesting market. 
he has a ton of fans in Paris and <laughs> I talk to them quite often. I don't know, though. I don't know if a stadium show can work there just yet. And part of the reason is because I do think that the market rewards, in some ways, those who try. And while he's done a ton of podcasts, a ton of interviews, a ton of things, I can't say how much he's actually interacted with, you know, some of the French press and some of the opportunities there. He did do something really cool recently, or yeah, not too recently, where he did a like deep cuts performance for 300 fans. And he just announced it on Twitter and folks got to go. So I think he can work up to it. Just quantitatively, it might take longer than other markets. Yeah, Paris was one that had in mind. I think those things you mentioned make sense. New York was another one too, just given the MSG yeah. show and you have the MetLife Stadium. I feel like something yeah. like that could eventually happen. Yeah, yeah. I think New York makes a lot of sense. It's pretty close to obviously, you know, DC and Virginia, which also have big African populations. New Yorkers have seen him and know someone who attended the MSG show. I really felt like there was like a sense of pride, like folks were really excited to be there and to see this. And it definitely made it feel like an event and one that you could partake in multiple times for sure. Right. And two, with this, we talked about his missed opportunities, but what do you think about the best opportunity or the best move that he has made so far in his career? Yeah, I think one consistency He's been pretty consistent about releasing new music, whether it came to the album that he released during COVID, as well as his latest album now. There's definitely a strategy, I think, of always being focused or always looking ahead or being able to see what's next. And so he's been able to use consistency through his own music, but also relevancy by jumping onto trends that are new, whether it's or not new. I feel like the Ama Piano folks are going to come at me for that. But whether it's Ama Piano, right, or Ashake, who really brought a new sound for folks. So I think he's been able to do that really well. I think it was really intentional of his team. We've gotten to see, and not to compare Bruno Boy to Ice Spikes, but as consumers, I think so often we see folks do really well as a result of a breakout hit and have these expectations of them that don't necessarily correlate. And it's actually been really great to watch an artist like Ice Spice or even a little Nas X kind of come into their own when it comes to their performance and stage play overall. Whereas with him, I think he really got to build that methodically and, and over time, get comfortable on stage, see what works, what doesn't work, figure out the kinks of working with the band. And so he's really, really been able to perfect and invest in his live show, which we're seeing dividends on now while also maintaining just the consistency of new music and relevancy, which is quite difficult. Yeah, I think the Ice Spice board is interesting because I was talking to someone about this a couple of days ago, and she had just put out her project, and I think it maybe sold around like 15,000 units, and that, of course, sparked some discussion. And the thing is, it's hard to even frame something like that as a negative because Six months ago, most of you didn't even know who this was, if we're being yeah. honest. So we have the nature of the internet being able to help someone skyrocket into a different level 
almost overnight. And then just realizing that her, her team, everyone else has to catch up. It's a very different situation, like where Berta Boy is showing you that, yeah, it takes time to get to this point. I mean, if he starts really releasing music, you know, early 2010s, by 2017, yeah. still doing small venues in New York. And then it really isn't yeah. until, you know, a couple of years later where you're being able to hit that if you even get to that point. It's so hard. And I do think that live performances in the audience you command is one of the few things that can't quote unquote blow up overnight. And yeah. it's, if anything, it's the more humbling thing that we see. I think streams can be somewhat humbling to some extent, as you've seen, but even that can be misleading. So, it does at least ring true. And I think for me, I'd spoke about this earlier, but the thing about his career that I think is the best move for him was just continuing to position himself as the lead and not necessarily, yeah. you know, following the latest trend just to hop on it. Although I think he was smart about things, but not just trying to attach himself. I think he still had the brand there and it took yeah. longer than some may have you know, wanted, or maybe even he saw himself, especially I can only imagine, you know, it's 2015, you're doing this for a few years, things still yeah. bubbling. So I do think that worked to his advantage because now there's really only a handful of artists globally that can say they're in that position. And then really from yeah. his whole continent, you know, of the big three is at least the one that has the most exposure and platform and base right now. What did you think of, I feel, his choice to embrace artists from the West? Like, his last two or three, really his last maybe three albums, you see like a really conscientious approach, whether he's had everyone from YG to Kehlani, had Diddy executive produce an album. And that felt really intentional to reach listenership or an audience from the West. Like you said, it's probably tricky. Like if that went wrong, it could have really went wrong. But in his case, it seemed to go right. But I'm curious what you thought of that. Yeah, I think part of the reason why it worked is like, I feel like he picked artists that felt somewhat aligned with like what he was doing too. Like I, at least from what I read, I think the YG track may have potentially would have involved Nipsey, but you know, Nipsey had eventually mm -hmm. passed. So like that didn't work. It's not as if he was just hopping on, you know, who is the hot single that like needs someone or like, you know, whether yeah. it's the Drake or whoever else. And not that I think partnering yeah. with Drake is an issue, but because obviously Bad yeah. Bunny has done it and Bad Bunny's continued to grow. But I feel like because he's like picking certain artists and maybe not every pick I necessarily, you know, thought was like his best music, but there seemed to be intentionality with people that like lined up with him where it's like, okay, I've listened to enough YG's music over the years. I can see why someone like Burna Boy would want to do music with him right so i feel yeah. like for me that piece of it did line up and i know that if you're trying to grow there there's some inevitable push of who can i align myself with that isn't just trying to do the generic pop thing like i don't think i would ever hear him be on a maroon five song which i do feel kind of becomes like a bit of a rite of passage for a lot of yeah. western hip-hop artists but i'd be very surprised if i ever saw burn boy do that yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. The other thing that I think this conversation taps into is just the broader growth and the broader expansion of record labels and infrastructure in Africa from what the music industry has yeah. tried to do and how Burna Boy has been able to help 
in many ways, not just, I don't want to say necessarily lead that because I think he's did a lot of this without the infrastructure. If anything, the infrastructure has yeah. kind of started to come as a result of what he's done. But I've also heard a few rumblings from different folks that some of the investments of certain record labels, some of the majors having offices there, there's been questions about how they're seeing what's viable, what makes sense now, because yeah. Some of the artists that blew up, they don't have those artists on those labels. So now they're trying to find the next person and they're realizing that yeah. it's really hard to do that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, and I thought a lot about this, is I feel like most artists on the continent don't necessarily need help on the continent. So much to our point of thinking about like Coachella, that was so surprising to Burnaway because he was a huge star within Africa. And when you look at the labels he's engaged for like a more global expansion, the thing I think he's been very clear of and his mother and the rest of his team is that like they've got Africa covered. And so I do think that could be part of the reason why maybe some of these labels are struggling because in a way it probably makes sense or the hunch is to put more money or investment into what's already working, which is within Africa, when in reality, I think it, it forces you to start to iterate and experiment on what's going to resonate in terms of an artist fans, an artist who has fans abroad or them starting to build their abroad audience. And while an African audience, it probably validates a lot of things, right? Maybe stage presence, charisma, ability to connect, that the music is global or it can reach people like it. That change or that shift now being in the States or being in Europe is also quite different as well. And I think it forces labels to take a true A&R approach, whether it comes to everything from media training to interacting, there's cultural differences. And so I think it's going to lead way to maybe a new type of executive. It's something I thought a lot about. And you see programs like the Music Business Academy in Africa that's done really, really amazing work. I continue to be really, really impressed with the folks at Maven and what their talent is doing, I think, for the African music ecosystem. But with that being said, I think that the ecosystem is still getting to the point where it's maturing, but also maturing in a way where folks can capitalize not only on the talent from the ecosystem within Africa, but there being true connections going both ways, because that's ultimately where the label will be able to recognize their power. But for an artist that is already successful in some ways, already getting booked for shows, you look at, you know, where Tiwa Savage was by the time she got signed or DeVito by the time he got signed abroad. They're already huge stars, which in some ways is different than what labels are used to signing in the States. They, you know, would either find an artist and before invest the development in them or find an artist who's had maybe success digitally, but are working with them on some of their more physical initiatives. So I think it's interesting, but I also think it's a bit of a different framework or thinking that some of these labels need to do in terms of the true maturity of the talent at the time they're being signed in some cases. Yeah, when I heard rumblings that some of these record label offices that had recently started in Nigeria or elsewhere in Africa that they were starting to question some of the future and the growth and things. I honestly wasn't that surprised because if you look at the way the record labels work in the US and at least currently, they're working because you have 
the Drakes and you have the Taylors and the Adele's and Beyonce's and you've given them more favorable deals. But knowing that even mm-hmm. if they have more favorable deal, whatever share you get of that is still going to make up for more than everything else. And that's going to help your strategy in so many other ways versus you're starting from scratch in a landscape where it's already harder to like develop someone from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And you're starting that without the burner boy, without DeVito yes. or without them. And now you're trying to find that person and you're trying to, you know, still do the investment. It's tough to get there because it took these folks so many years to get to that point. So if you didn't start this yeah. with like a 10 year time horizon and you're trying yeah. to have a bit of that, you know, more of a standard, okay, what is this? person done for me lately? Do we keep this artist? Do we drop them? Exactly. Just isn't going to work in the same way. And we saw some of those same challenges, not even to this level happen 20 years ago when there were so many artists from Jamaica that were starting to blow up when reggae and reggae fusion was really starting to be the wave when Sean Paul was doing his thing. And we didn't even get to that point where they were even trying to start the record label, their issues with visas and all these other yeah. things that they yes. just didn't see yes. at the time. So it doesn't just transfer. That's, right. you know, that's such a great point. Like, I think in some ways people expect the success in the continent to, to like transfer almost smoothly when in reality, a new type of work is just beginning. And that's the type of work that, you know, when you think about the office, the big office is looking for, right? Because that's going to produce quantitatively what they want to see. And so in a way, it can feel discouraging because you're like, wow, I have this artist. They've done this, this and this. They're getting booked for shows here. Now we're going to Europe and we can't do a 500 person venue, but we just did a 5,000 one. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how this develops. But before we close things out, though, let's say five years from now, 2028. Where's Berta Boy in his career right at that point? What is he doing? Yeah, I've really, you know, I call it like a bit of the Jay-Z effect. But in some ways, I see that for him. One clearly has an ear, not only for like developing talent, but also emerging talent from, you know, lending a feature to Benson, who was signed onto his label, but ended up not staying, ended to ask to leave the label, which I think is very interesting. So I kind of want to see if he focuses or hones more on also like developing talent innately. His sister is also the creative director for his brand. I think too, we'll also, we'll also see him play a role where he does a lot of fun things around band engagements. He talked about in an interview that he's performed at so many venues and gotten to travel the world. And so he wants to take a really exciting approach and like performing on a train or kind of doing all these other like cool fan experiences. So hopefully he'll start to experiment with that as well. And it'd be interesting, but I think he might have the potential to be a really high touring artist for a long time. We see some artists that are just like, they can go on tour, it feels, whenever they want, regardless of whether they have new music or not. And to some extent, I think that he just might be an artist that can command that. And this has, you know, everybody's talking about, everybody's talking about catalogs nowadays. But as you think about how digitally native Africa is, how young the population is, I'll be curious to see if he gets an offer he can't refuse on the catalog side. As more and more places invest in content within Africa, it's only going to increase syncs, the power of nostalgia as well. While my hunch would be that he wouldn't sell, It wouldn't surprise me if we also saw him really structuring his business or 
his brand in a way that commands a high catalog price as well. Yeah, well, you're the one of the biggest ones in this like wave, and you're really reaching a height that others haven't reached before. You do have a bit of that advantage, right? You're able to kind yeah. of hit this rise in a number of ways. So it's going to be fascinating. I'm excited to see. Yeah. I feel like at a minimum, headlining Glastonbury feels like an inevitable thing, just given where he yes. is with things. So yeah, I am eager to see how this all plays out. And who knows, maybe he'll be at Coachella again, and maybe he'll have the headline spot. And at that point, there's nowhere else to you know complain. Maybe we'll just have Berta Boy hyphen the African giant, and that'll be what's on the poster. <laughs> yes, I can literally see like just the African giants. I think that would be just such a moment in the funniest way, like very reminiscent of Jay Z. Jay Z at Glastonbury, though. Yeah, it would be cool to see that all come full circle. Definitely. Well, Denisha, this was awesome. Thanks again for making the time and making this happen. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trapolo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.